Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, and um, it's going to be an interesting episode of the show. I uh, we, we had two hours recorded. It was going to be awesome. And for whatever reason, I, I'm not sure exactly why, uh, there was an audio issue, issue on my end. So every time I spoke throughout the podcast, the audio was uh, completely unusable. And then, as I was trying to uh, find a way to fix and edit it, my power went out. And it was out for uh, about two hours. It happened right as I was in the middle of trying to edit the podcast. What I was able to salvage, I was able to salvage the good stuff. So what I'm going to have to do, and it's going to sound a little odd uh, if you're a podcast listener at home, but I am going to have to go back and revoice all of my questions to our guest in uh, University of Cincinnati quarterback coach and legend Gino Gadulli. Um, this is going to take uh, quite a bit of time for me to get through, so bear with me. I will get it out to you as soon as humanly possible. But here's the 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 first forty five minutes or so of the podcast uh, with me, Dave Simone, and Gino Gadulli. As we talk about uh, his his time at UC as a player, his path to the coaching world, and uh, and recruiting, and how he is uh, how he is handling being the quarterback coach at the University of Cincinnati, it is a very interesting interview. And I'm sorry if it's a little choppy. There are going to be some times uh, that there's a little overmodulation uh, from when I'm I'm talking a little bit, but I'm going to do my best to clean it up. It's probably going to take me all night, but I'm going to do everything I can because this one was too good uh, to to not get out to the public, and uh, Gino was very gracious with his time, so I owe it to you guys. I owe it to Gino to get it out. Uh, let's get it started. Coach Gadouli, how we doing? Chad, I'm great. Glad to be with you guys, man. I think everybody needs a good podcast. Coach, I know it's been a uh, pretty crazy time for everybody. Uh, you guys got through the, the, the first four spring practices, but uh, as spring break hit, everything kind of turned into chaos. Uh, you, you guys are getting back to work this week. What has that, that, that been like for you guys? What, what exactly has, uh, has that entailed? Because everybody's working from home. The, the kids are at home. Um, there's, there's no weight room. There's no meetings. There's no anything. Like, uh, what has this been like? for you guys as you adjust yeah we were we were on spring break last week and we were due back in the office monday and and kind of right when we were leaving for break is when kind of everything kind of broke loose uh kind of thursday friday right before we left as far as campus closing down and the kids going and um basically remote campus for the rest of the semester so all that was kind of breaking loose as we were getting ready to break for spring break but with yesterday being the first day we were supposed to be back in the office, we got on to a, uh, basically a video conference call, kind of had a staff meeting, trying to put a, a schedule together to give our guys a little bit of structure as we work through this time period of being apart and, you know, trying to keep them together academically and obviously trying to keep them in shape and keeping their mind on football and occupying them the best that we can. And so that way when we get back, we're ready to roll. Coach, it's, it's got to be almost impossible to juggle all those things from a logistics standpoint. It, 
kids aren't able to go to class. They aren't able to meet with their academic advisors. They aren't able to meet with their tutors. They aren't able to go into the strength and conditioning room with, with Brady Collins. Uh, the, the training room is only open for, uh, you know, serious situations. Uh, they, they don't have the nutrition that you guys are normally able to provide them. Uh, this has got to be a really tough deal. And especially with, with so many diverse backgrounds and atmospheres and, and, and family life that these guys are being entered back into, uh, where it's going to be very difficult for you guys to have uh, the type of connection with your team uh, that you generally have throughout you know this process. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. Just, just all the different little factors and facets of it, all the people that are involved with our kids' daily lives. You know, you take all those people away and you just got the kid there and you hope by this point that they've kind of developed their own routine. You know, it may be from a remote location, but hopefully we're going to do our best to try to keep them on those routines. And uh, obviously there's a lot of things they got to juggle with academics and trying to stay in shape and then keeping their mind wrapped around some football. And there's a lot that's going to go into it. And I think the programs that do the best job of keeping their guys engaged most of these next two months are going to separate themselves from everybody else when whenever it is that we do get them back on campus and and can operate from a normal normal routine absolutely and those are some of the conversations we have for our left i mean you know some of these kids are going back to situations where they might not have a computer or might not have internet or the, the towns or the cities that they're going back to aren't the safest. And uh, those are all things that, that play into our minds as coaches. Um, like you said, I'm very fortunate with my group. I'm also fortunate in the fact that when I do got to reach out or have a meeting or try to get something done, I only got four or five guys. Coach Crook or Coach Brown or Coach Scruggs, they got 12, 15, 16 guys that they got to try to get a hold of and round up and get everybody together at one time. Gino, you you played for a legendary program at Highlands. You 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 came in, uh, you spent your first two years, uh, freshman and sophomore, behind Jared Lorenzen. You took over uh, a Highlands program that at that point in time was was absolutely steamrolling everybody in the state of Kentucky. Take me through the high school process, what it was like uh, playing at Highlands, playing for Dale Mueller, uh, learning how to win, and then. Take me through the recruiting process with with your commitment to Kentucky, and then you know Notre Dame interest late, and and how you ended up committing to the University of Cincinnati and staying home. Like why was all that? How did all that play out? How did you end up a Bearcat? I mean, being Highlands, those two have kind of ruled the roost in the state of Kentucky uh, as far as the the higher classes. Um, when I played with a 3A, Trinity was 4A, but, um, and then the last couple of years, obviously, Highlands has been down and, and Trinity's continued to roll, but uh, I think I came through that program at the right time, and uh, Dale Mueller, obviously, they've got a rich tradition, and it dates way back, and numerous state championships, but Dale Mueller, I think, took that thing to another level, and, and it seemed like during his time, I don't know how many he ended up with, I want to say it was but um, it seemed like we were winning the state championship every year. And uh, when Jared took over, I think uh, 97 was when we lost to Cubcath in the mud at Highlands. 
and since that point moving forward it was like it was a train that wasn't going to be stopped and um getting getting the having the ability to sit behind jared and watch jared play and uh kind of go through practice just kind of follow him around mimic him see how it's done he kind of set the standard set the bar really high and uh i, I just remember when it was my turn to take over you know when the reporter Jared graduated, it was like, man, you got huge shoes to fill. How do you feel about it? And, you know, it never really crossed my mind, but looking back at it, like, Jared was a larger-than-life figure. And, uh, like you said, Derek Smith was, was really good, too. And those two, it was just a dynamic duo. Every Friday you went out there, it was like, all right, these guys are on the scoreboard. And uh, to have the pleasure to watch those two and play with those two was phenomenal. And, um, I think it set the standard for us of what it's supposed to look like, how you're supposed to prepare. The Dale Mueller orchestrated all that, and extremely, extremely grateful for uh, the time I got to spend there and uh, play under him, and um, his help with me in the recruiting process, uh, which for me was a little bit unusual. I was originally committed to the University of Kentucky, and uh, I think it was about a week before signing day in February. Al Mummy was their head coach. Uh, Tim, like they were throwing the ball all over. It was the air raid offense when the air raid first came out, and uh, that's what I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to go and, and throw the ball all around, and uh, he ends up getting fired for recruiting violations, and Kentucky goes on probation. Um, I had two of my teammates that I graduated from Highlands with, Ben Scott and Brett Hamlin, that were committed there as well. Uh, they kept their commitment. I ended up backing out. I mean, how mummy was the reason I was going there. And uh, I think people a lot of times in recruiting will tell you, like, you got to pick the school, don't pick the coaches. But to me, I think all oh, that's, that's a bunch of bullshit. I mean, at the end of the day, it is. I mean, the coaches are the ones you're building a relationship with. <laughs> Understand that you got to be comfortable going to that place, even if the coaches aren't there with the landscape of college football. But the relationships play a huge part, and uh, he was the reason I was going there. So I pulled pulled out of my commitment and kind of started my process all over. And uh, Cincinnati just kind of hung with me the whole time. And I grew up a huge Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan, um, just being in Northern Kentucky, and. Uh, I grew up a huge Notre Dame football fan. Well, Notre Dame offered me a scholarship. I took an official visit up there after signing day, and I just didn't feel like South Bend was for me. I didn't feel like I fit in with the guys there, and, and that's the thing I kept coming back to about Cincinnati is it just when I was on campus there, I felt like those guys. I felt like I fit in, and it blazed my own trail. And... Uh, you know, I have three younger brothers. I was the oldest of four boys. I had three younger brothers. It was important for me that they had the opportunity to see me play and that I could come back and watch them play. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad, they came to every single one of my games uh, in high school and Little League. And, like, to give them the ability to continue to do that was, was really important to me. And... Uh, once I, I kind of just wrapped my mind around, I had so many people that were kind of questioning my decision growing up Catholic, always being a Notre Dame fan. Majority of my family's Catholic. When I got the Notre Dame off, you're like, oh, this is going to be a done deal. He's going to Notre Dame. What was there to think about? And um, the fact that, hey, I'm going to go to Cincinnati. 
and uh, I don't really care what anybody else says, what anybody else's opinion is. I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna make this thing mine. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it right because this is the decision I'm making. And uh, pulled the trigger on doing it. I got the opportunity being so close to home. This was kind of before people could um, have like meetings and whatnot with the players. I was coming over and doing seven on seven when I get done at Highlands. I'd drive over after practice and watch seven on seven, throw with some of the receivers while I was still in high school. Um, go have meetings with the quarterback coach, and that way, when uh, summer came around, I already know the all. I knew the whole offense, and uh, going into training camp, I was legitimately competing for a job and not just trying to learn the offense. And um, I think it was a great. Looking back on, it, it was a great decision, and I wouldn't change anything about it. And uh, University of Cincinnati was great to me. Extremely grateful to have the opportunity to come back and. Uh, coach the position I played at the place I played it. Yeah, I'll go. I got a bunch of recent stuff, but I do have one question from the playing days. Kind of walk us through the Ohio State game, your emotions, that last drive, you know, what everybody thought going in during the game when you guys felt like we can beat these guys and then kind of how it ended. Yeah, I remember going in. I remember watching the tape and being like, man, they got some dudes on defense. And uh, I wasn't sure what the game was going to entail. I wasn't sure how the game was going to unfold. Uh, we got into the game. I just remember we couldn't run the ball a lick. I don't know what we ended up rushing for in the day, but I can't imagine much over 50 yards. And uh, we were just dropping back, throwing it all over the place. And uh, I, I think, you know, you get to halftime and you're in the game keep going in the third quarter and you're keeping it to about a one score game you know? alright we can, we can win this and uh, obviously we moved the ball down in that last drive had some opportunities to win it I wish the game wouldn't end on a pick but uh, you know we had a couple opportunities there to uh, to take that one it was a huge step to the program and uh, I know a lot of people left out of Paul Brown disappointed that day and I was one of them but uh, game I always remember, and um, you know, obviously, wish the outcome would have been different. But uh, that was a good team. Good team we played. Obviously, went on to win national championship that year. What was it more about Gino? Was it was it when you look back now? Was it about potentially ending a, an undefeated national championship season for Ohio State? Was it, or was it? the competitor in you that, that you had a chance to win that game and, and you ended up losing? Just losing. You know, it was, a game, it was a game that you weren't supposed to win, that you could have won, and you lost. And, uh, you know, it was all those people that are from, like I didn't grow up wanting to go to Ohio State, but a lot of guys on our team that were from Ohio, I mean, a lot of them probably grew up wanting to go to Ohio State or didn't have the opportunity to go to Ohio State. And uh, that's a chance for them to make a statement. And, you know, we missed the opportunity to do so. And, you know, it would have done a lot for our program. Obviously, it would have done a lot for Rick Minner. Um, at that time, ends up a year later, he ends up getting fired. If you win that game, he probably doesn't get fired. I mean, it would have been really interesting because the, the course of UC football history could have been changed forever. You win that game, Rick Minner probably never gets fired, but Mark D'Antonio comes in, 
Um, what was that transition like for you? And, and did you have a sense at that time that, you know, maybe, uh, maybe this was a, a different direction for the program that was necessary? I was great. And I love Rick Manor. Rick Manor gave me the opportunity to come in, play as a freshman and, um, you know, do all the things I did at university. I've got to look back and thank coach Manor for, uh, for sticking with me in recruiting, and then it, it takes it takes guts. At that time, it wasn't like there were a lot of freshman quarterbacks coming in and playing like there is today, where there's no hesitation to stick a freshman in there and letting him go. Um, he did that when that wasn't the thing to do. And I don't know if that was just pressure because I was a local kid and highly recruited, or um, I was the best one he had on the roster. I don't know what the case was there. You'd have to ask him that, but. Um, I just think that Coach D'Antonio, it was time for a change, and he brought he brought a uh, a sense of toughness to the program. I thought thought when he first came in, he was a players' coach, and I thought he had a great staff too. Um, you know, we only got to spend one year with him, and uh, we had a pretty talented senior class that came back for his first year, and, and it took us a couple games kind of for him to figure out our identity. I think more so on offense than on defense. I mean, there was a ton of talented guys on defense. But it took us a little little while to find our identity. Um, you know, we ended up losing a game to Army and snapping a, a, a losing streak that they had had, like the longest in the nation. We went up there and lost, and that was their first win. And uh, we had to go on a bye week that next week. And uh, during that bye week, we got it rolling. And... Um, we could have had it rolling like that from the beginning of the season. Who knows what it could have been. But uh, Coach D'Antonio, it was, it was a great opportunity for me to, uh, me personally. Uh, coach Enos, who's with us now, is our running back coach on staff. He was my quarterback coach. He did a great job. Um, I went from the shotgun to under center and did a lot of things offensively that I wasn't used to and um, was, was by far the uh, – most prepared I had been for any games and for any season was that season. I would love to have another opportunity just to have one more year under that staff to see what it could have been like, seeing what it would have looked like. But uh, extremely grateful for that year and got nothing but great things to say about Mark D'Antonio. All right, Gino, the world wants to know, how much of a pain in the ass was it to uh, to come in and, albeit briefly, mentor a young Tony Pike? You know, Tony came in and he was I was only with him for like the training camp. But um, Coach Enos always tells the story about Pike. Like, uh, they throw Tony in. We had, like, six or seven quarterbacks at training camp, if I remember correctly. And they throw Pike in in a, uh, in a scrimmage. And uh, Coach Enos always tells the story that Coach D'Antonio calls him out there like, Dad, Dad. So Enos walks out onto the field, and he's like, look at him. His hands shaking under center. So I guess Pike was under center. He was all nervous shaking. But uh, all I remember from that training camp is Tony Pike is the man of ping pong. He was with everybody in ping pong. So let's get into the, the, the coaching side of it. You, you graduate from UC. You bounce around professionally for a little bit. Like When, when, did, you, when did you come to that realization um, that, that Gino Gadulli was, was looking to be a coach was looking to get into the coaching profession and and what was that path and, and that journey like for you it was like you know i was in 
because after I graduated, I went, bounced around the NFL, never made an active roster, went and played some arena football, then went to the CFL for two years where I was active, went back, played some arena football, and like, you know, slowly you start to think like, all right, I'm 26, 27, you're seeing all your high school buddies, like, all right, they've already had these jobs locked down for four or five years, they've got retirement, they've got houses, I'm still bouncing around like, all right, eventually this window is going to close. What, what's my game plan? And um, sports was always everything. I, I mean, my dad, my dad had me in sports from the time I was super little. He was involved in sports as a personal trainer. So he was always dragging me, whether it was to the Kentucky High School State Championship games or to his workouts or the Bengals games or the Reds games. We were always going and doing something involved with sports so I just knew I didn't want to get out of that uh, I, I can honestly tell you when I was in college I had no desire or no thoughts of being a, a coach and um, I think kind of arena football kind of put me in that direction because you know as I as I got a little uh, more experience in that league became a veteran guy on some of the arena teams I played on kind of the offensive play calling a lot of that is all on the quarterback you're in there you're throwing the ball every down you're seeing what the defense is doing you got a coach out there that's supposed to be calling the plays but a lot of that gets put on your shoulders and uh, I was successful in that league and, and I was successful in kind of recruiting guys to come play for my team I just thought it would be a natural transition and and um you know, so I'm sitting there one January, and I'm supposed to be reporting to Milwaukee um, in February for training camp. And I call Coach Enos on the phone and just, Coach, how are you? I've been thinking about you. You know, I'm curious about the fall. You know, I'm about to go report for training camp, but in the fall, I want to try to get something lined up where I get into coaching. Uh, once the arena season ends, how do I go about doing that? And he's like, well, I'm in my second interview for Central Michigan. And he's like, if you want to coach, if I get this job, I got a spot for you. So he's like, just keep an eye on it. If I get it, you want to come, call me. You got a spot. So he ends up getting a job. I call him. I skip out in the arena year and uh, go GA for him for two years at Central Michigan. We weren't very good in those two years. And... Uh, after those two years, I didn't really get a job that I, I felt really good about. And I was like, all right, well, I got my master's degree now. What am I going to do? And that's in sports administration, of course. Uh, so I ended up going back and playing arena football again for uh, another year. And then a year later, Coach Enos calls me. He's like, I got a running back's job. It's yours if you want it. And uh, obviously, I jumped at the opportunity. I went back and uh, started my coaching career in 2013, I think it was 28-29, and uh, living in a college dorm in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. I was a GA those two years before I left. So I went back, finally was able to have a salary, have a job, buy an apartment, and uh, pursue, pursue a career in college coaching. I was All right, well, one more thing back on the, the Cincinnati side. Uh, your playing career what happened uh what happened to your hand uh, everybody uh, everybody's got a story everybody thinks they know what happened what happened to your hand after senior night 
I slipped. I tried to break my fall. It was after the South Florida game. Like, sleet after the game. We went to Martino's after the game because it was senior night with all the parents. We left there. We were going into a house party when we left Martino's. I went in, came back out. There two steps coming out of the side door. Slipped off the top step. Put my right hand back to break my fall. Thought I'd just sprained my wrist. Broke uh, my index finger and my middle finger, like right in the middle of my right hand. The next morning, realized it wasn't a sprain. I mean, it's believable though, right? Like, uh, your dad was like the toughest man in the world for uh, for a couple years. Like, Gino Gadulli throwing a punch, like that's uh, not that's not all that hard to believe, is it? Yeah, he was the toughest man in Ohio twice. This is the same. This is the same guy that like. The same guy that all my home games, he would pack a mouthpiece in case a fight would happen. He brought a mouthpiece every game. This is the same guy. In Hawaii, when the fight broke out, your, your dad was lining him up and knocking him down, right? They, they were coming down the stairs. Your dad would drop him. That's how the, the, the history of the story goes, right? There's, there's video evidence. That's not the that's, – that's folklore, but – there were, there were people getting dropped, but it wasn't like they were just coming to the Coaching at UC, being an alum, how does that kind of affect how you recruit kids, what you tell them about your time there, uh, you know, the university as a whole, but more so just like in your experience, how much does that play into when you recruit? And do you think that's a, a major selling point when you talk to guys? I think it's a major selling point. And, like, I might be biased, but I don't think there's a better person to recruit the University of Cincinnati than myself. And uh, no offense to anybody else on the staff, but when when I come in to talk to you about the University of Cincinnati, I'm not selling a product. The University of Cincinnati means something to me. It's a part of me. And uh, hopefully when I come in to talk to any recruit or their parents, I convey that message. Like, this, this, this isn't just me working at the University of Minnesota, like trying to get your kid to come to Minnesota. Like, I went here, I wore that uniform, I grew up in this area, this place was extremely good to me, it can be extremely good to your son. Or this could be, you know, for the same reasons I went here and passed up a lot of people, a lot of places that people told me I was crazy for passing up. This is how it worked out for me, this is how it can work out for you. And. Uh, Recruiting here is, I can honestly say, different for me than any other place. Well, I've only worked at one other place, but it's, it's just different. With that in mind, take us through Evan Prater. How did that relationship start? How did it build? And and at what point did you really think, like, we got a shot to get this kid? Yeah, it, it started, Evan started coming to our, uh, our club days. And he was one of the regular kids when we started out in 17 that was there and and Lori his mom brought him like he was in basketball season he was a really good basketball player but religiously he was out our club days and to be honest when he first started I'm like man he needs a lot of work and he got better and better and took coaching and got better and got better and got more confident and then came back in junior and like now he's starting to get recruited I believe Pitt was his first offer because I wasn't ready to offer him yet because I'd seen him in club, I'd seen him in club, I'm just not there yet. I got to see this kid play live. So I was going to wait until that next fall of his junior year to watch him play live before I offered him. Well, Pitt ends up offering him, I think, late in the spring. And uh, 
we end up pulling the trigger in the summer or something like that and uh, just start building a relationship and having super easy to talk to. He and I have similar personalities, I feel like. And our stories are, like, identical. Local kid, highly recruited, quarterback, um, grew up a Bearcat fan, grew up on campus. Mom was the Bearcat. My dad graduated, got a master's degree from UC. I mean, the stories were just, they just matched up. And uh, obviously the, the time that we had together in club helped build a relationship. And then just, I think, the similarity in our stories and where we're from, all that played into it. But I think um, I think from the start, just having the relationship with him in club, being an early offer to him, his mom being a UC grad, from the beginning, I thought that we would have a really good shot to get him. Now, as the offers continued to roll in, it uh, made me a little bit, little bit nervous. Like, you know, all right, he's going to have to really want to do this. And, uh, you know, as the process started to went along, I knew, you know, I had a conversation with he and Lori in Coach Fickle's office and uh, kind of just laid out to him what, what, what the city of Cincinnati and staying home and how he's different than everybody else because of the position that he plays. And um, for him to stay home is just going to be uh, huge for him, for the university, for his family. And, uh, you know, super excited when we got him and uh, can't wait to coach him, develop him, watch him grow. And uh, his parents and the whole Wyoming community will get to get to do the same. So you're at Central Michigan. The the, the career is going pretty well there with, with Dan Enos. How did it take me through, you know, Luke Fickle gets the Cincinnati job. Your name's kicked around a little bit early, but the, the staff gets filled. A spot opens back up. How did your name get on the radar? How how did you find yourself in this opportunity uh, to come back home and, and and initially be the running's back running backs coach at Cincinnati? Yeah, it was it was it was strange in the fact that you know I just I just got named offensive coordinator at Central Michigan like uh, mid December and around the same time Fick got hired at UC. I had no real relationship with Luke. I had no relationship with Luke Fickle. I didn't know him from a man on the moon. I knew that Coach D'Antonio had a good relationship with him. So that was my only outlet to try to get the fit was through Mark D'Antonio. So I called Coach D. He said, hey, can you put a call in to Coach Fickle for me? I'd love an opportunity to go back to Cincinnati and coach. I don't care what position, whether it's offensive coordinator, running back coach, uh, water boy, whatever you want me to do, just I'd like to get back there. So he called, said he talked to him. I didn't really hear anything from Fick. And, uh, Obviously, if the staff filled up, I was just like, man, that's a bummer. But, hey, I got the opportunity to call the plays here. Let's let's make the most of it. Follow from afar. And, um, you know, I think he had a guy on staff leave, and the job opened back up, and uh, had a brief conversation with Vic, and he's like, you know, I've had several people call. I've talked to Coach Antonio about you. He raves about you. He's like... You know, I've, I haven't met you before, but I've talked to enough people about you. The job's yours if you want it. I just want you to come down and make sure it's the right fit on your end. And, um, you know, the only thing there was I was coming to Cincinnati to be the running back coach at Central Michigan. I got a chance to be the offensive coordinator. You know, what's the next move for your career? Um, 
but to me, I always felt like, you know, someday down the road, I'm going to get the, the opportunity to call plays. Um, there's no guarantee that I'll, I'll have the opportunity to come back to Cincinnati. I mean, you'd like to think that you would, but I already went through the cycle once, didn't get an opportunity to come back. Who's to say that's going to happen? So I jumped at the opportunity, and obviously having my mom and two of my brothers still in the area, a lot of family, um, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Walk me through the the relationship with Mike Denbrock because that that's got to be a little difficult. You're, you're coming in with an offensive coordinator that you, you've never worked with before. He's coaching quarterbacks. That that's kind of your specialty. You're at running back, but then after year one, Coach Fickle changes things back around. You're now the quarterback coach. He moves back to to kind of his comfort zone at tight end. Um, Denbrock cracks me up. I, I think he's a, a hilarious human. How has that been uh, developing that, and how have you guys been able to work together? Yeah, it's it's been great, and, and I think anytime you bring a, a group of guys together that don't really have any prior experience working together, um, there's going to be kind of a uh, feeling out period. And um, I really feel like the last two years we've kind of got our wheels underneath us as the offense, and uh, so Stan Brock does a great job of just leading the charge. And uh, like you said, easy guy to work for, uh, doesn't micromanage, lets you coach your guys. And, uh, you know, it gave me, you know, with Fix shuffling everybody around, I think it's worked out for the best. Obviously, I feel like I've benefited from it. Uh, like you said, I think he might be more in his comfort zone coaching the tight ends. And uh, the deal there with everybody, like, you know, Mike here and Gino's communication is going to have to – be really great for you to communicate with the quarterbacks and just to make sure everybody's on the same page and um you know i think ever since we did make ever since we made that move that's been what's happened and uh i think we've been successful and, and looking forward to getting back after it this fall recruiting quarterbacks what are kind of some of your i don't want to say absolute but must have you know your, the first things you're looking for to distinguish all right, now I'm going to dig deeper into these guys and kind of what, are you, what is your guys' philosophy on recruiting quarterbacks and, and what you're looking for uh, for this type of an offense? Yeah. Um, so, like, intangible things that, that i got to have. He's got to be competitive. He's got to be tough. And he's got to be a great teammate. Uh, I think those three are extremely important. And... Um, also, he's got to have a confidence at that position. To me, confidence is everything when you're playing the position of quarterback. Uh, as far as physical stuff, when I'm watching tape, first, I've got to go see the kid throw in person. It, you can tell certain things on tape, but certain things you can't. I mean, I've had numerous guys that I've watched the tape and uh, go to watch them live, and I go into the, the workout uh, with every intention of offering the kid, and then I see the workout, and I'm like, man, I can't offer this kid. Or I've seen kids on tape that I'm like, you know, probably need to go watch this kid. I don't know if he's good enough. And then you go watch him live, and you're like, man, this kid's really good. We need to offer him. Um, but the physical skills that I'm looking for is just mechanically. I don't want there to be a whole lot that I have to coach mechanically. I want the kid to be mechanically sound as far as his release. Um, as far as his footwork, uh, I'm a big fan of big hands. 
I want the quarterback to have good hands. I want him to be accurate. I want him to throw with anticipation. And uh, obviously, you're going to want a guy with, with some arm strength. Athlete, pocket, passer. What I try to do in, in the classes is I don't want everybody in my room to be the exact same. Um, so if I could do it the way I'd want, obviously, kind of who you can get, who's shown interest in you is going to dictate some of this. But if I had my way, I will go athlete, pocket passer, athlete, pocket passer, and kind of alternate each year. You're obviously trying to get the best combinations of the two all the time. Um, but I think you need to have some variance in your room and not have everybody doing the exact same type of player in your room. Gino, take us back through the end of the season. Uh, you've got a situation where you're you're playing for uh, a division championship. You've got a quarterback that that's coming out of a game where he, he was clearly hurt. He he willed you to win. You're going into Temple. You need to win that game to win the Eastern Division of the AAC. And then you're you're headed to Memphis. Um, with you know your birth already locked up in the AAC championship, but. You'd like home field advantage. Uh, a lot of difficult decisions to have to have been made there for the coaching staff. Walk me through what everything was like as you guys were trying to figure out what the right call was and how difficult it was to make those decisions. Super tough. And, I mean, you touched on a lot of the factors. I mean, you're going into the Temple game. You need to win that game to basically clinch our side. Uh, it's a home game. The game you think that you should be able to win. You start quarterbacks out. You go with the backup who doesn't have any, any experience starting, which I was comfortable with. Um, but then you've got your starter telling you he's good to go. Uh, he doesn't practice that Tuesday in practice or doesn't throw the ball particularly well that Tuesday in practice. Comes out Wednesday, looks a little bit better. Comes out Thursday, looks a little bit better. And then you're stuck like, all right. What are we going to do? This dude's 22 and four as a starter. He's telling us he can go. He's super competitive. You got to save him from from himself at the end of the day. And uh, we made the decision to roll with him. We ended up winning the game. It wasn't pretty offensively by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you go back and watch that game. We had a bunch of guys running open that, you know, Des just physically couldn't get the ball to. Um, which at the end of the day, we won the game. So you could say, hey, you made the right decision, you made the wrong decision. I think if we could go back and and do it again, we would have just played Ben um, just to give Ben the confidence. I think Ben would have, uh, with the way they were trying to play us that night in the rain, um, you know, I think we would have benefited from having him out there that night and letting Des rest. And then it's going into the next week, we knew – you were going to start then because the game was really irrelevant unless you look at the home field advantage portion of it. Uh, now he's got a game under his belt. Go down there, he could be a little bit more confident going in and not feel as much pressure. Um, but at the end of the day, you're blessed. You got you got two quarterbacks that are really good. You got two kids that are going to compete. You got a quarterback that's going to lay it on the line. He's got a bad shoulder. It, it, it was bad. It was worse than people were led to believe, I, I think. I mean, he had an AC sprain in his throwing shoulder, which an AC sprain in your non-throwing shoulder is painful enough, but to have one in your throwing shoulder, I mean, that's a legit injury. 
And um, but I don't know. Looking back at it, I think we could have went a couple of different ways. I think you know we could have played Ben probably to finish the South Florida game as well. Uh, looking back at that one, but those were two of the games that we struggled throwing the ball offensively, and uh, two games we end up winning. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know. And uh, when those those situations come up, I think now with Ben starting a football game and playing as well as he did against Memphis, if something like that were to happen, you feel a lot better about pulling the trigger once you've seen somebody in that in that uh, starting role go out and be able to to play and lead the team and give us a chance, put us in a position to win. Uh, then you do kind of when they're coming off and. Their playing experience has been in a clean-up role. Um, but like I said, we go into that situation. Again, this year, I think the decisions will be a whole lot different than it was last year. No doubt, Coach. And, and having Ben now have that experience playing on the road against the top 15 team as a starter and, and, and putting the team in position to win the game late, yeah, there were some mistakes, but – now you you know what you have in Ben Bryant. You know the type of guy he's going to be uh, when the chips are on the table. Now, uh, when we when we get down to our, our final couple questions here, I got to know like when Gino Gadulli looks at his future, when he sees himself, you know, what the ten years from now, does Gino Gadulli see himself as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats? Like, what's that desire? to take the next step in your career and, and, and maybe go to, you know, clearly you want to be an offensive coordinator, call plays, but then even, you know, the next step and, and be a head coach. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's in my, I want to be a head coach one day. I don't know when that'll be. I don't know where that would be. Um, that's an aspiration of mine. Again, I think that might be down the road. That might be a couple years from now. I don't, I don't really know. Um, I'd like the opportunity to call the plays at some point. Like I said, I, I was the offense corner in Central Michigan, but I didn't call one play. So um, I think that's the next step, kind of my coaching progressions. Uh, but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. I think we've got a great staff. Obviously, Coach Fix done a great job, and I'm extremely proud of being a part of, of what he's done here and uh, extremely thankful for what he's done here, being an alum. Uh, but, yeah, down the road, I think one day I'd like to be a head coach. I'd, I'd love it for to be at the University of Cincinnati, but – I'd like the opportunity just to uh, be the guy in charge. And, of course, before I let you go, we, we have to ask, the Michigan State situation, Coach Fickle's name comes up. It's obviously a job everybody knows. That is something that was on his radar. But from an assistant coach's perspective, sure, you you know probably more than, you know, the you definitely know more than the, the average person, but – what was that situation like? Uh, what was what were those days in the office like? Um, how did you work your way through that? And and where were you at? You know, if it would have gone down that that Vic would have been the head coach at Michigan State, and what would that have meant for Gino Gadulli? You know, those deals are always really weird because everybody thinks like you're in the office or you're on the staff. You know exactly what's going on, but you really don't have any idea what's going on. You could, my office is two doors down from Coach Fix, and I don't really know, you know, in those situations what, what all is, is going down, what's all playing into his decision or anything like that. But um, 
obviously if Coach Fickle was going to go, we were we were on board to go. And uh, I'm really glad he stayed. I didn't really want to move to Michigan. I know my wife probably would have loved it being from Saginaw, um, going to Michigan State. But I think he just feels like there's unfinished business at the University of Cincinnati. I think he and his wife Amy really like the city. I think his kids enjoy going to school where they go, and uh, I'm not so sure that our program's not in a better state than uh, what Michigan State is right now, so I just don't know that he felt like the timing uh, was right to jump, and uh, there's one thing you could say about Coach Fickle, is he's not uh, a college football coach that's really motivated by money, and uh, you can't say that for a lot of people, but you can truly say that about Coach Fickle, and um, I think it's it, it, Works wonders for the University of Cincinnati just to have, you know, in that 10-year span with Butch and Brian and Coach Antonio, uh, to have all those guys leave after two or three years, to have a guy have the opportunity to go and stay. Um, I think that's going to endear Coach Nickel to the program even more than what he already has by the success he's brought, but just for for him being the one that has turned down those people and said Cincinnati's good enough, I'm going to stay here, and uh, I've got unfinished business to, to handle. All right, look, I know that was far from perfect. I know I sound like Darth Vader through that entire interview. Uh, I'm blaming my cat for messing up the, the gain button, the gain knob uh, on my, my mixer uh, in retaliation for us getting a puppy on Friday. But... Uh, I wanted to make sure you guys got to hear as much as you could of that Gino Gadulli interview. Uh, it was fantastic. He was very candid, and it was uh, it was excellent. Uh, maybe I'll uh, I'll get with Dave tomorrow, and we'll try to recreate the second half of this podcast that was about an hour long, uh, and get that up for you guys on Wednesday. Uh, John Brannon Thursday morning. Uh, Justin Williams and I are going to host that deal. Uh, so we'll have that podcast here on Bearcat Journal. It's a Bearcat Journal exclusive as well. So a lot going on. Thanks for dealing with the the technical and the audio issues. Uh, I have been working to uh, fix and solve and recreate and, and take care of as many of those as I could. Uh, we recorded that interview 7 o'clock. We were done by 8.30. It is almost 1 a.m. and I'm just now getting done. So thanks for your patience. Thanks for your forgiveness. And uh, stay tuned. We've still got tons of great stuff coming content-wise. And uh, that's going to wrap it up. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.